I wanted to be with somebody else. I wanted to be actually, you know, somebody who was really involved in the creation of something as opposed to, to servicing other people who were doing that. And you think about practicing accounting, you think about practicing law, they're very similar professions in that way. While the domains are very different, nonetheless, the, 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 the customer service and the client delivery and those types of things are very, very similar. And I felt like I had done that. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Beyond High Street. Today we sit with Stuart Frankel. Stuart has done a ton for Miami since finishing school 30 years ago and continues to help students, professors, the business school, the entrepreneurship program, Miami, every single day, living in Chicago, getting back to Oxford. This conversation stretches a lot of different topics and every one of them was pointed, insightful, and really good. Gosh, you, you will love the story back 25 years ago, how he would go in on Saturdays uh, to help the business he was in. And I don't want to call it the chance encounter with the CEO on a Saturday, because as he describes, he and the CEO were the only two out of a thousand that routinely were there. But how that pivoted his entire business career from what he's doing to what he does now. And he laughs because back then, that company had three personal computers for the thousand people. We stretch into how he learns and how he almost took 15 years of a break of conscious learning uh, to how he learns now and those lessons that can be applied for students that are 18 or 22 that are just coming out of college and thinking that they've really learned and now they have a job and you can stop, but how we now live in a world of lifelong learning and the importance of that. He talks a, a moment in his life when he was out without a job really for 60 days because he had switched into a business, but the project or job really went away and how that forces you to stretch what you do. And through that, how he's had to learn IT with a certain role and learn technology and learn AI because he was put in places where he had business transformation and strategy expertise, but not necessarily the specific of the field that he was going into. And coming out of Miami in 1987, where as a business degree, he talks about you had three options, accounting, banking, and Procter & Gamble, but how the world has shifted and the thousand plus really limitless opportunities that students have and ultimately creating an unfair advantage for you and your corporation or company that you work for or a business that you've created yourself. It's it's really a fascinating article and I, or a conversation, excuse me, but Really enjoyed it with Stuart, so I hope everyone enjoys the pod today, too. Thanks. You know, you go to Miami, and if you're a business major, um, you're, at the time, it was, you're an accounting major, you're a finance major, you're a marketing major. And um, I did well in a few accounting classes, and I thought, I'm just going to keep taking these accounting classes until I don't do well. And all of a sudden, I graduated. And, um, you know, as an accounting major coming from Miami, you've got lots of opportunities. And so I kind of got on that path. Um, I wound up working for, for PricewaterhouseCoopers for a few years. And, um, you know, I, I, I did not have a, a lifelong dream of being an auditor, but you know, it was a great start in my career. And I actually went um, uh, to law school um, after those first three years of, of, of working. You know, I had probably since high school, um, was very interested in, in law and the legal profession and um, thought that um, my uh, accounting background combined with the legal background would, you know, ultimately be 
pretty, pretty, pretty valuable. And I was also interested in practicing law. So I went to Vanderbilt Law School. I graduated in 93 and became a practicing lawyer and was a lawyer, uh, corporate lawyer for um, three years uh, in Cincinnati. Um, and got an opportunity um, from one of my clients who was um, uh, a large home builder and real estate developer looking to just bring some fresh thinking into the organization. And so, you know, this company went out like me to create a diversity of experience and just bring people from outside the industry uh, into that company to, to try to help grow it, grow it faster. And I went over there uh, to do one thing and pretty quickly that uh, thing sort of disappeared. They were starting a new division and it was going to be run by myself and three other people, um, again, with very diverse backgrounds. And about 60 days later, we got the word that the project had been canceled. Mm. So I had this great job. I was a lawyer and I left that for this opportunity and it, and it, and it disappeared. <clears throat> and I almost went back to the law firm that I was working at, but I looked around and there was this company that had been around for many years, um, but antiquated in terms of, of, of how it was run. Um, there were lots of people that worked there that had been there for, you know, 20 years plus. And I thought, look, there's probably a lot of opportunity here. And there, and there was. And so, you know, I ultimately wound up gravitating to the real estate um, development side of the business and, and uh, ran that business for a couple of years. It was about a $100 million uh, business um, and um, had no experience in that field and, and really, you know, from an operating perspective, but allowed me to cut my teeth. And it was great. And and, in parallel with that, I was in the office on a Saturday and the CEO walked in and said, what do you think of our, of our IT function? And I said, what IT function? And he said, I agree. You are our first chief information officer. (laughs) And that was literally, (laughs) that was literally how it happened. And, um, you know, hold hold, hold that thought for one second. So now let me just pause there. How, yeah. how often were you in the office on Saturdays? How many people were in the office on Saturdays? And how often was that CEO in the office on a Saturday? So that's a great question. So I was in the office every Saturday, um, and I would usually get in at about 9 or 10 o'clock, and I'd usually leave about, um, about 3 o'clock. Um, the only other person in the office usually was the CEO. Um, there weren't that many people, um, who were, who were spending their weekends working. You know, I, because I was an accountant at a big firm, because I was a lawyer, at a big firm, you know, working on the weekends, working at night actually was just very natural for me. And, you know, I've always been a big believer. If you just work a little bit harder than the next guy, that really gives you, that alone gives you a pretty significant competitive, competitive advantage. So, yeah, I'd run into him uh, all the time, and um, and this particular time, you know, wound up getting this new, new new job, and and I have to say it was it was you know pretty overwhelming. Um, you know, I wound up hiring a consulting firm to help me get up to speed. I really knew very little, but as I got into it and realized the impact that technology could have on a on an organization, um, I really just became um, genuinely interested, and ultimately. As the internet was coming online in the mid '90s, and companies were, you know, beginning to adopt, you know, digital as a channel, 
um, that is what got me super excited. And I said, look, this is, this is what I want to do. I want to be involved in a technology company in some way. I don't want to, um, be in a company that uses technology. I want to be part of the, part of the solution and, 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 and really help build a, build a technology company. And that was ultimately how I, how I found my way to tech. When, when you're, it's a great, it's a good backstory. When your CEO said you're the, you're the first guy and you're our CIO, do you, how much of that was you being in on Saturdays and him recognizing that extra effort you put in um, or how much of it was you acknowledged to him too, we don't have an IT department. Wh- wh- where was it or what was it that, I th- that gave him the confidence to say, go do this if this wasn't a, a place that you had previously lived? Yeah, I think that there. I think that there were probably um, three three reasons. One, just amazingly, I was one of the youngest people there, and I think he equated young people with understanding um, um, emerging things um, and and willing to embrace emerging things much more than older people. You can argue whether that's right or wrong, but I think that was part of his selection. Um, that was part of his selection process. Two, I had been kind of bugging him. Um, over the last six months or the prior six months about how I thought we could just get started slowly by bringing in some things and um, adopting some things that would just would, would help us. This is a company of a thousand people, by the way. When I got there, there were three. There were three at the time were called personal computers. There were three of those mm-hmm. in the entire company. Um, when I left, um, every, um, uh, you know, every knowledge worker, every person who, who, who worked in the office had a computer at their desk. And, and so that was, that sounds crazy today if you're listening to this, um, but that's the way that, um, you know, the world existed then. And that's the way that this company existed. And you could have a material impact on the business just by enabling people with the technology of the day, you know, the stuff that was the stuff that was there. And then finally, you know, to your point, I was there and, you know, I think he felt like I could do this job along with my, along with my day job because I worked hard. Mm. And, and when you, when you took that break because almost a forced break, because that project you and a few colleagues were working on had gone defunct or, or didn't go live and you had the choice to go back and practice law or consider a different field and get into business. What, what was the, the reason or the insight that said, you know what, I'm going to take the risk or I'm going to go in this direction and, and not go back to what was comfortable in practicing law. Yeah. I think when I looked at going back, um, first of all, the, the legal industry was very different than it is, than it is today. I enjoyed practicing law. You talk to a lot of lawyers today. It's very in vogue to, if you're a lawyer to you know, complain about your job and complain about the legal industry. And there's probably merit to some of that. It's a different industry than it used to be, but um, it was um, really something that I really enjoyed. And I thought I could be pretty good at it. I was still early in my career when I left, but nonetheless, you know, three years, I think can give you a, a, a real taste of, of what something is like. And, and I think when I looked at, at going back, what I really did was I didn't look at going back and then saying, Hey, what are the next couple of years? going to be like, I looked at what are the next 30 years going to be like? And I saw lots of lawyers who were much more senior than me, who had practiced a lot longer than me. And while they were doing more sophisticated work and they were doing different kinds of work, they were basically still just doing legal work. And they were 
um, providing a service to somebody else. And um, I wanted to be the somebody else. I wanted mm-hmm. to be actually, you know, somebody who was really involved in the creation of something as opposed to, to servicing other people who were doing that. And you think about practicing accounting, you think about practicing law, they're very similar professions in that way. While the domains are very different, nonetheless, the, 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 the customer service and the client delivery and those types of things are very, very similar. And I felt like I had done that. I had done that for, you know, a, a combined six years and I wanted to do something else. I happened to be in the situation that frankly, I wasn't that thrilled about um, because I felt like I went over for one thing and that thing went away very quickly. Um, but it was a, um, um, uh, a good opportunity to just figure out if there was something there for me to do. And I look back today and that, that was the most pivotal point in my, in my career. But I have to tell you at the time, it just did not feel that way at all. It just felt like, Hey, I'm trying this and it's temporary and I'm going to get what I can out of it. Um, and I will look back and say, Oh, this is just a little blip in my career. And now years later, I look back and say that was the main inflection point in my, in my career. Well, it's a profound and and it's a great insight because I think we live in 2018 in that era of people not wanting to provide a service to someone else and wanting to be someone else. And I think there were uh, fewer people, such a minority of people back in, as we're talking, maybe the late 1990s that had that insight. So it doesn't surprise me that it's now, uh, in retrospect, it was the most pivotal, but at the moment didn't feel as such. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely right. You know, there's just more opportunity now, particularly for, for young people. I mentioned, you know, the, the, the majors at Miami when I was there. And you know, again, if you were a business major and you graduated, you worked at a bank, you worked at an accounting firm, or you worked at Procter & Gamble. That was really the, those were the three paths um, when you were coming out of the business school at uh, at Miami, and now there's probably a thousand different paths. Mm. Yeah, and, and curious to your thought now. You know, fast forward to 2018, and for almost the last ten years, you've been running and CEO of Narrative Science, which we'll, we'll talk about here in a second. But leading a business in the AI world and the natural language generation world. Your opinion of someone who graduated college 30 years ago, talking about age for a second, when the, when the CEO 20 plus years ago, one of his three reasons, as you said, may have been, hey, I think the younger guys understand this space a little bit more and maybe a little bit more nimble to change. Is Do you have a similar feeling to that now, really being on the flip side of that? Well, I certainly work with people who are a lot younger than me. Um, and so I think, you know, quite naturally, a lot of the, a lot of the intellectual capital in, in, in narrative science, you know, skews younger and again, certainly younger than younger than me. AI is an interesting field. You know, AI has been around for a long time, but it's had its, its, its periods where it's been dormant. And, um, when you, when you think about the reemergence of, of AI, which essentially, started in 2011, 2012, um, when IBM's Watson played Jeopardy. Um, that was probably the first time that, um, that the public became aware that, you know, AI was, a, was, was, was reemerging a, as a field. Um, a lot of the people who have impacted the last few years of commercial development of AI applications 
actually are older. Um, they're professors in universities. They're people who um, studied uh, AI, uh, you know, in college, in graduate school, in the 70s and 80s and 90s when, you know, AI was really being worked on um, kind of in the first, the first round. And so I think you've got the right mix. I think you've got, you know, people who um, at, at, at um, its core understand really um, these principles that have been around for a long time and understand um, the nuances of, 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 of AI. Then you have a lot of young people who are starting to work on AI applications and concepts in school. And so they're coming out and they're fresh and they've got new thinking. And I think the combination of those two things is very, is very powerful. I think it's, it's pretty unique to AI, um, but it's been, you know, something that, that certainly you know, the science has been able to take advantage of. Yeah. No, it's unique to technology. I mean, that's an, it's an interesting thought of uh, uh, a technology that has been around for, as you're saying, seventies, almost 50 years now. That's, that's different than, most technologies that people are uh, exploring or exploiting today. Yeah, absolutely. And, and look, there's a lot of talk about AI. There's a lot of things going on in AI. It's become very uh, in vogue to just stamp uh, AI on, on whatever you're doing, but there's still relatively few people in the world, relatively few people um, who understand this stuff and um, are doing stuff, you know, doing things that are real and, and, and potentially very impactful. And so if that's the case, what, what's the bet? What's the, the business bet or a personal belief of yours that in the next five to 10 years that changes from few people that truly understand that or are doing it to, uh, I guess, mass adoption of it? Well, I think that there's, I think there's two sides of that that you, that you brought up. One is the creation of these technologies, the building of these technologies. And there's no question there's a lot of stuff um, going on. A lot of that work is being done by very large companies like Microsoft and Google and, and Amazon and folks, and folks like that. Um, but there's also a lot of smaller, nimble companies like Narrative Science, for example, that are, you know, that are working on things. Um, and, and that's the, that's the building side. And then there's the market, you know, the market adoption, um, which always comes, which always comes later. Um, and, and market adoption is a funny thing. Um, you can have a product that, um, uh, works incredibly well, solves a very real and acute business problem yet for whatever reason, um, um, whether it's custom, um, whether it's, um, uh, a fear of change, uh, whether it's regulatory um, challenges, um, sometimes harder to get technologies adopted than you might uh, that you might think. Uh, we started in 2010, and um, you know, just uh, narrative scientists create this technology that takes data and 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 analyzes that data and figures out what's interesting and important, and then turns that into uh, a narrative communication. So it could be a report, it could be a document, it could be. Um, the conversation that then gets converted to voice so that you can use Amazon Alexa um, to, to, to uh, interact with your data. But in 2010, um, nothing was going on remotely like that. So this was before Siri was on the iPhone. This was uh, before there were things like Google Now and Google Home and, um, and Amazon Alexa. And, and today, you fast forward just eight years later, um, the, what I just described to you is now really thought of as something that 
it should exist and will exist. And, you know, it's probably going to be very, um, uh, ultimately very, very ubiquitous. Um, but, but, um, watching that evolution take place, um, was, uh, amazing to see. We needed that to happen. Um, because again, you can have the greatest product in the world. If there isn't a market for what you do, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Um, and now, um, you know, seeing where we are, it's amazing how, how quickly the world has, has changed and really, I think, moved in, in the direction that we thought it would. Mm. And, and as a CEO of an organization, how do you personally learn? How do you keep learning? And what, what I guess, time of day or day of the week, uh, is there a, do you ever have a focus on outside learning different from what you're doing on a day-to-day from a business perspective? Well, the short answer is yes. Um, and what's, what's interesting about that is I think I'm doing more learning now and more learning, you know, over the last few years consciously and really engaged in, in, in that, um, you know, accelerated learning is, is really how I would describe it than I did, you know, before I started narrative science. Um, so I probably had maybe a, you know, a 15 year gap where, I was certainly learning and I was certainly absorbing things, but I wasn't doing it consciously. I wasn't necessarily going out there and saying, okay, I need to, I need to learn about this. You know, one of the areas, one of the fields I've learned about is AI. I didn't have that background and I don't have a, uh, a a computer science degree and I don't have a computer science background. And so I've had to learn a lot about just technology in general and then AI very specifically. Um, and I'm fortunate to be surrounded by people who, who know this stuff really, you know, uh, really, really, really well. But, um, you know, I read everything I can get my hands on. Um, I listen to, you know, a number of different, um, a number of different podcasts across a number of different, uh, a number of different topics. Um, and, you know, I've surrounded myself with people who have a diversity of experience and background. And that is one of the ways that I think I've learned, I've learned the most. You know, I think we've moved into this, you know, this world of, of um, lifelong learning, right, and the necessity for lifelong learning. I think this is probably what you're getting at, where it used to be you came out of school, and if you were an accounting major, there was a ton of stuff to learn, but your education had stopped, and it was really about getting experience in your, in your job. And, and today, with the ability for, you know, particularly later in life transitions and career changes and things like that, one, you have the opportunity, but two, I think the necessity exists for you to engage in, in this type of, you know, in this type of learning. So even like online courses and things like that that are now available and that I've taken, um, those didn't exist until relatively recently. And that, you know, allows people like me, um, you know, to get up to speed on topics that previously were uh, unapproachable or, or, or unattainable in terms of the knowledge. Yeah, and, and part of the ask, too, a little bit of a loaded question is for, you've got a, a lot of kids in Oxford, Ohio that are list students that are listening to this or young alumni coming out or even older alumni coming out uh, that finish school, get a job, and may stop learning or don't recognize that even when you are a CMO or a CEO or a leader of whatever field you're in that learning does never stop. Um, and not just uh, in, the, in the business field that you're in, but also in other just passion or hobbies or parts of life that make you a, a better person or a spouse or a friend or a peer. That is your words of lifelong learning, I think, 
it, it doesn't stop at 22. No, for sure, for sure. I think you asked, you know, when do I, when do I yeah. do that? I've, 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 and, and, and I do a lot of those types of things. I do a lot of reading and I do a lot of listening um, on, on, on Saturday mornings now um, because I feel like it, it's the end of the week. Um, there, there is the real need, which I didn't believe before, but there is the real need to, um, to take a break from the, um, from the functional work that you do. And, and really give yourself the time to think, particularly if you're a CEO, but I think anybody, frankly, in any job now, any knowledge worker, certainly. But you have to take that hard break and, and, and allow yourself to, to learn or to think about things a little bit more broadly. And, and it is still work, in a sense, but I think that it's a different type of work. And, and I learned that you've got you've to do both of those things. So I tend to take my, 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 my Saturdays or my evenings and do that kind of work then. I'm glad you threw Saturday out there because I was ready for the next question to say when was the last time <laughs> you were in that office on a Saturday now and, and who was that person? Who's the young kid 30 years <laughs> later who's in the office that's going to get the new role when you open up the new business practice for you? Well, it's funny that you, it's funny that you say that because today you, you don't have to go into the office to get the work, to, to get the work done. So I'm, I'm not in the office um, as, as much as I used to, used to be on the weekends, but I still come in from time to time. And I will tell you, it warms my heart when I see somebody in here. Um, and it's usually, it's usually somebody who I've already identified or who certainly has sort of identified themselves as a, uh, as a, as an up and comer and, and somebody who, you know, is really mission driven and really, um, engaged in what we're, in what we're doing. And I do think that, um, that, uh, you know, it's the great equalizer. Working, working hard is the great equalizer. It's one of those things that your parents tell you that you roll your eyes at. But then, as you, as you, as you get older and you get enough experience, um, you understand that you know uh, um, that there are few things that can really differentiate you or your company from 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 competitors um, over the long run. But one of the things is really just working, working extremely hard because it just allows you to accelerate product development. It allows you to accelerate your approach to go to market. It allows you to accelerate things like recruiting um, and hiring. And um, you just can get more done quite obviously in a shorter period of time. And that alone gives you an unfair advantage. Uh, And so I'm really, I really gravitate toward people like that, um, particularly younger people um, because it's, you know, I believe that they probably uh, unconsciously share my philosophy because they haven't thought about it that way, but they certainly act that way. Now, that's great conversation. I think I could sit at Skipper's and have a beer and listen to Stort all day. Fascinating. And a lot of learning even for me and hopefully for everyone out there. Providing a service to someone else and recognizing I want to be someone else. How insightful. Love it. And it's so easy to hear now for people kids coming out of school and young founders and entrepreneurs, but that's not how the world thought 30 years ago. Um, And coming in on Saturdays and everything he's done to constantly learn and the insight of AI and and how it started in the 1970s, but really the reemergence and what it's going to take 
to, to create mass adoption and, and make it part of mainstream in every single day. R really, really appreciate that time, Stuart. Thank you so much. Like I said, I will see him at Skippers and hopefully see everyone else at Skippers. And if you can, get back to Miami. If you're in Miami now, enjoy it and work hard, as he says, and maybe do a little bit more on a Saturday. That will separate you and provide an unfair advantage to you in the future. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. Share the pod with others. We're really having a lot of fun with it. Take care.